Greetings, everyone. My name is Brian Nichols uh, with Grace Community Church in Deerfoot. And if you're like me, you've probably recognized that our culture in America is changing rapidly and not always for the best, it seems. Uh, these changes are affecting our families, politics, even sports are not immune from these changes. But how are these changes affecting our churches and specifically our younger people in our churches? Uh, if that's a topic you'd like to hear more about, uh, we'd love to invite you out for a free event. Uh, we're going to be hosting Josh McDowell to kick off our Connect 2020 conference. Uh, he'll be speaking March 1st at 9 a.m. and at 10.45 a.m. Uh, Josh is one of the most well-known, uh, recognized uh, Christian author speakers of the last 50 years. Uh, he has written over 120 books. Uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict is a book you might have read. Uh, it was rated as one of the most influential Christian books uh, in the 20th century. Uh, he's spoken to well over a million people uh, in countries all over the world. Uh, Josh is uh, really well known for his research, and so we know he's going to really break down this subject. If you're interested, we just uh, ask that you go to our website. We'll post a link at the end of this video. And uh, RSVP, let us know uh, which service you'd like to attend. And we look forward to seeing you guys out there at Connect 2020. Dan, is this the microphone I'm supposed to use right here? Is it on? Okay. I'm here to give you a heads up on the parking for next week because we've got the two services, one at 9 and one at 1045. We're going to be parking a lot of the cars over at the uh, Presbyterian Church, which is next to us. Everybody know where that is? Kind of shake your head. Yeah, okay. And their parking lot that we're going to use, we've asked them if we can use all of their down, down below parking lot. When you go in, when you turn in their driveway and drive past the front of the church, they've got parking. Don't park there. Keep going. Keep going, and you'll go down the hill and into another parking lot that you don't know was there, and I didn't either, but it's back there, and we can park about 60 cars back there, and they've let us have that entire parking area. So we'll have a guy, an assistant there to kind of help you. We'll also have an assistant out by the main road out here by the entrance to their, uh, their driveway. When he's there, that means we need you to park there. When he's gone, that means it's full. Everybody understand that? Okay. He'll, be a, he'll have a vest on, and he'll be standing up by the road. You can hit him if you want to because he's going to be real close to the road. Uh, yes? We, we will. That's, we, we're going to shuttle people back from over there. So we'll have the bus, a van, and maybe at least one SUV to get you back over here. Now, um, please, we have the, the, all the shuttles available at 8 o'clock in the morning. They'll be there ready to go. So please don't get here at 10 minutes till 9. I can't, can't get you back over here fast enough. If everybody shows up at 15 minutes till 9, even, it's going to be difficult to get everybody over here for the, for the service at 9 o'clock. So please get here as soon as you can. Husbands or wives, whichever it is, you can drop somebody off here. Come on in, drop them off, drop your kids off here, and then head on over that way, and, and you can park. There's actually a little place there. You don't have to go out in the road. You can actually go right up there about, out by the, the vet, kind of turn the corner and go down their driveway, and you don't even have to go out on the road. And we'll be coming that same route back and forth, okay? Um, they don't have church until 11 o'clock, so they won't be there for their first service at all. <clears throat> and I'm just asking you all, please be here before 8.30. Uh, do not park in the upper parking area. Please go down to that lower parking area where we have an assistant. Because if you do park in the upper one, we're going to get into their way when their people come need to park. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, if you're handicapped for any reason or whatever, 
um, you've had a surgery or something recently, come park here. We're not asking everybody to go over there. We'd like to fill that one up so we've got plenty of room here if we have guests that come. But if you need to come here first because it's a shorter distance, please come park here. That's fine. No problem there. Um, there will be a police officer out here at the entrance to our parking area, and all he'll be doing is bringing people in from the right and the left, as they, hopefully as they back up, if we have a lot of guests that come. We'd rather not park you in the grassy areas or the dirt areas if we can. It's still muddy out there. We, hopefully it's going to be better next week and it'll dry up some. Maybe we can park some people there if we need to. Um, please get here as soon as you can. We'll have shuttles available and we'll bring it back over here. Um, any questions in regard to that? We'll also have assistance out in our parking areas to help you park or whatever if, if necessary. Any questions? Good. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hey folks, it's that time of year. We've had our three days of winter, our two days of spring are just around the corner, and I'm hoping for a great crop of watermelons for the summertime. Now, do you know that Psalm 150 says to praise Him 13 times? I like the kind of music that talks about my Lord and Savior Jesus, that talks about God's greatness. In those six verses in Psalm 150, it tells us to praise Him anywhere and everywhere with instruments. It even talks about praising Him with loud cymbals, with resounding cymbals. So I say that we get together March 7th, about 4.30, grab some grub, have some comradeship, trucks with food, missionaries, mission stuff, the MC. Let's praise and worship Him together. Oh, you know, I don't know if I've said the right phrases or terminology talking with you about this, but hey, that's okay. Let's connect. I need a volunteer right away. I've got to have a hand. All right, Judah, you are the professional that's going to do that next time. Okay, they should have hired a professional. Uh, but on March 7th, we're going to have this concert I've shared with you before. Uh, it'll be a good time. We're going to have food trucks. Um, in this concert, we're going to have a, a display of cardboard testimony. Um, I have had more volunteers sign up for that. Uh, let's be real. It can be very humbling. Um, transparency is very powerful, and it is going to be a powerful thing. Um, I need about 25 to 30 more volunteers for that. And I want you to know, some of you know, Psalm 66, 16, it says, Come and hear all who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for my soul. That is our testimony. This cardboard testimony is about one word or two on a piece of cardboard or on a poster board. On this, you put that sin that has a big part of your testimony, whether it's lust, money, power, lies, manipulation, pride. And on the other side of this cardboard, you flip it or turn it, and it tells what God did for you, redemption, forgiveness. Okay, if there is an a, um, accomplishment that God has done in your life, you share that. And so I'm asking for more volunteers for that. 
we can give our words, our testimony, without using words in one or two words. And I think that we're all called to give our testimony. So whether you require a small one or a bigger one or one that I couldn't fit in here, I will have them available for you. Um, I'll have everything you need. Uh, So this afternoon at uh, 3.30, if you are interested in doing that, um, I would probably say more around 4, 4 4.15, please join us this afternoon. Uh, Those that have signed up for that, um, I would appreciate you being here this afternoon and next week at 3.30 so that we can discuss that a little bit. Okay? See me if you have questions. Thank you. March 7th. Our testimony will be March 7th uh, and during the concert, toward, towards the end of the concert. All right, guys, we're here to praise the Lord, right? Let's all stand. We're going to sing. We're going to sing about uh, our great God, our good Father, and our glorious Savior this morning. So let's sing and worship the Lord together. You're the name of us. 
is coming One day the skies with His glories will shine Wonderful day my beloved ones bring me Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine Living He loved me, dying He saved me Buried He carried my sins far away Rising He justified song we did a few months ago, guys, and um, it talks about the fact that we can trust God whether we're crossing the mountain or in the valley. He's the same God. He's no less God in the valleys than he is in the mountains. So you guys listen to the words as we sing Highlands. You're the heaven where my heart is 
two of my favorite songs good good father man how do you get man I just love that song you know um, one of the experiences I had over the last 12 weeks and reflecting back just uh, after my heart surgery is to think about how good my father is um, really no words other than just to thank him for being my father and then to sing one day you know for those of us who are in Christ that day is going to be incredible but have you thought about the number of people that will remain here that population is increasing as generations go by because there's less and less thought about God and there's less and less thought about Christ, less and less thought about the gospel. We live in some challenging times. Um, but we need to be faithful, don't we? Faithful to the call that the Lord has given us in our lives to share the gospel. He does the saving, we share. We let the Spirit of God do the work in the life of a believer. And uh, we let the Spirit of God do the work in the life of someone who's not saved as well. You remember the day when the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin? Your need for Christ and recognizing the grace that is found in the person of Christ. Well, I want us to have a word of prayer and then we'll be back in the book of Job chapter 2. So... Let's pray together. Lord, we need your help this morning to understand better what you want for our lives. And as we look at this man named Job, and specifically this morning as we address the character of this man, I pray that we would think about our own character. Who are we really? When no one's around, who are we? When we're not in this place, who are we? May your spirit work in our hearts and our lives this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If you remember last week, we are addressing really the question of how we handle the unexpected in our lives. And the unexpected is not always horrible or tragic. Sometimes the unexpected is a time of joy, happiness. But in Job chapter 2, we're met with a man who has been through tragedy in his life. There's been a lot of loss in the life of Job. And as we come to chapter 2, we looked at together the first statement that was said about Job 
by the Lord. And um, you remember what that statement was? Job chapter 2, verse 3. That Job still held fast to what? His integrity. He still held fast to his integrity. And who said that about Job? The Lord did. The Lord said about Job, he still holds fast his integrity. We looked at that in light of the context, in light of the fact that Job had lost his possessions, his servants, and ten children in one day with no warning. And we're met with an incredible statement at the end of chapter 1. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And you think about the number of people, even in Christian circles, that blame God. They're looking for a reason to blame God. And here, this man has lost so much, and the Bible says to us that through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And then we come down to chapter 2, verse 3. And we're met with this statement that's amazing. And he still holds fast his integrity. This morning we want to look at the character of Job. Because we're met with the character of Job in this statement that God makes about his servant. What was the character of Job? What was he like? Who was this man? Imagine for a moment, this, you have to use your imagination for this one. If the Lord would use four words to describe you and me, I get to participate too. Four words that he would use to describe me. I mean, you think about the depth of what God is saying here about this man, Job, his servant. Remember last week we saw in the text, my servant. And we saw the fact that that was not only addressing one who willingly served God, but dress, addressing one who worshipped the Lord. Even in the midst of all of this, we find in verse 20 of chapter 1, he's worshipping the Lord. And so when we come to chapter 2, verse 3, not only does he deal with the fact that Job still held fast his integrity, but he deals with the character of this man. You've had to deal with addressing character in the lives of other people when you fill out a reference form, if you're honest. <laughs> you ever got one of those forms and thought, uh-oh. And has that ever happened to you? I mean, let's be honest, right? Who isn't raising their hand? Sometimes it's very difficult to do that. Well, the Lord addresses the character of Job here in chapter 2, verse 3. And this is not the first time that it's addressed. In fact, the author addresses it in verse 1 of Job. And then in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord talks about Job using these same four terms. Before all of this tragedy... And then to me, what's amazing in chapter 2, verse 3, he's describing his servant in the same way. 
after all of his loss. So I want us to think about this morning the issue of character. Abraham Lincoln said, character is like a tree and reputation like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. (laughs) Mm. Think about that one for a while. Character is like a tree and reputation like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. Oswald Chambers, in speaking about character, turn it on, Thad. I'm still no better than that. You'd think after heart surgery I'd be better at flicking this thing like it's supposed to be. I'm not. Look what Oswald Chambers says. The expression of Christian character is not good doing. Now, people think it's that, but it's not that. But God-likeness. What does Paul write in Philippians? That he's, what, conforming us to the image of his Son. If the Spirit of God has transformed you within. And by the way, do you know that this morning? That the Spirit of God has transformed your life? I hope you do. You will exhibit divine characteristics in your life. Not good human characteristics. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life. And Paul said that. It's no longer I who live, right? But Christ who lives in me. Yes! By the way, Paul did a lot of clapping. Yes. You can tell in the expressions. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as human life trying to be godly. And there are too many people trying to do that. Did you know that if you're a believer today, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. What? All things are new. I mean, who doesn't like that? Character. Is it important? Yeah, it is. And the Lord addresses the character of this man named Job. Who was he? Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 3. Now remember in the context, this is after all this junk in his life. All this loss. It says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And remember we said, it's the Lord that brings Job to Satan's attention. You ever wonder how many times that's happened since? Satan, have you considered my servant? I think one of the most amazing testimonies out there that I've seen consistently over the years is Johnny Erickson Tata. I'm just being honest with you. I'm an old guy, right? I'm getting old. But I remember her testimony when I was a young guy. And over the years, how God has used 
that woman and her testimony to bring people to the gospel and to Christ. She seems to have good character. She doesn't seem to be blaming God for her situation. She seems to be worshiping Him in an incredible way. And people step back and go, how is she doing that? Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 3. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant, Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless, and here it is, an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. There's the description of his character. So if we're going to understand it, we have to understand what those words mean, right? And you know how I am about understanding what they mean. I'm going to look it up and I'm going to study it. Because I'm going to give it to you and you're going to think about it as much as I have been. Okay, that's only fair. So first of all, he says about the character of Job that he's blameless. He's blameless. The word means innocent. It means, in fact, that word innocence connected to the word integrity in the text. That's used over and over again. It means undefiled. It means having integrity. It means without moral blemish. The word picture was of an animal being sacrificed, having no blemish or defect. That's the picture of the word. Now, some translations, I think, have the word perfect. I know the King James does. The King James uses the word perfect, expressing that one is innocent or not guilty of evil. That's quite a statement. I mean, when you think about how much we struggle with our flesh, any of you willing to say every day? A few are. Good. I do every day. One theologian in describing this word said, this is a person who exhibits holy behavior consistently. As a part of their lifestyle. In other words, they live holy lives. Now here's the question. Does the Bible speak about that issue? Other than in this description of this man who lived a holy life before the Lord? Yes, it does. In the New Testament. In fact, what's interesting about this particular instruction is that this instruction is given to suffering Christians. I mean, when you're suffering, do you want to hear a command from the Lord? Or you just want relief? How many of you are willing to say relief? Relief! But these are suffering Christians that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 1. And look what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. By the way, that's describing their lost condition before they came to Christ. But like the Holy One who called you. You know, Paul emphasizes that calling in several passages, but Romans 8 is one of those. You couldn't say it when you first got saved. Hey, I was called. 
But isn't it nice to know that the Lord called you? He separated you out? That's amazing to me. How do you thank him enough for that? But like the Holy One who called you, he says, Be holy yourselves in a few things. And then he gives you a list. Is that what he says? No. Now remember context, suffering Christians. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So I had to ask myself the question, where does holiness begin? Where does this holy behavior begin? It appears to me from studying the scriptures that holy behavior begins with, number one, understanding we serve a holy God who is, as the Bible says, holy, holy, holy. But secondly, we not only recognize who he is, but we recognize that holy behavior begins in the mind. Begins in the mind. In other words, we have to discipline our mind. Paul talks about the mind a good bit in the New Testament. In fact, there are two specific passages where he gives commands concerning the mind. I do not want you to turn there. I just want you to listen. Isn't that a great discipline, listening? I'll give you the reference. You can write it down and memorize it this afternoon. Paul writes, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That means I need to consider what I'm putting into my mind. I didn't make you a list. We can do that ourselves. And the Spirit of God will be faithful to show us that what we put in our minds, it matters. It matters. That's why I'm so concerned about the young generation. Well, I love them, but I'm concerned when they go to college, they're being met with just flat-out heresy. This is the truth. It's in the colleges and universities all over the place. Can I just say even in some quote-unquote Christian colleges, which even makes my blood pressure go high, which it's okay now because I, I'm clear. I'm all clear. Bruce said I'm not okay. Don't tell me that, Bruce, at 11.15 on a Sunday morning. Young people, listen to me. Do not take your cues from a professor. Take it from the book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And when your professor looks at you and says, Well, you're a blooming idiot. Well, okay. I am. I'm an idiot for Christ. Stand up. One time I was at a wedding, this has got nothing to do with this. One time I was at a wedding and a lady was performing the ceremony. 
And she said, um, even the Lord gets sassy. I'm like, hey, what are we talking about? And she was in the context of John 2, woman at the, I mean, uh, John 2, we're there at the wedding at Cana. And he says, woman, Jesus does, woman, what do I have to do with you? And she said, well, even the Lord got sassy. I'm like, uh, 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 that's not right. Teresa put her hand on my leg. I don't think she was wanting to hold my hand. I think she was just like, I hope he doesn't get up. I thought if she'd have done her homework, she'd have understood that's a term of endearment. She didn't do her homework. Listen to me. Your professors in these colleges, they're influential. They are. Don't buy everything hook, line, and sinker. Study. Get in the book. Bring your book to class. They haven't outlawed that yet, have they? The mind. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to what Paul says. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Oh my goodness. That's hard to do. Why? Because we're on the earth. Kind of a simple answer. We're on the earth. And there's stuff all around us. Evil stuff. So if we're going to live wholly separate to God, then we have to consider this issue of the mind. So you have the commands in Romans and Colossians, but you have the prescription in Philippians. I have to follow my prescriptions these days because I have these pills I have to take because my heart keeps going, right, Bruce? And... I'm looking at the prescription here for the mind, and Paul gives it to us. He doesn't just give commands. He gives the prescription. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's pretty good. So, the first word used to describe Job is blameless. The second word that the Lord uses to describe Job is the word upright. Now, this is an interesting term. (laughs) It means to be straight, and it means to be upright. But it also has the meaning of pleasing. It refers to a person with a mind to obey the Lord, with a mind to please the Lord. Can you think of an example of a person in the Bible who had a mind to please the Lord? Yes, you can. Enoch. Do you know that the author of Hebrews says this about Enoch? By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, And he was not found because God took him up. That's kind of cool. That's the greatest hide-and-go-seek game ever. Where's Enoch? Can't find him. For Listen. For he obtained the witness that before this, his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. 
Well, if you're going to be pleasing to God, it connects back to that last word. Then I have to have the mind to understand what is it that pleases God? Where do I get that information? The back of a cereal box? No. I get the information where? Here. The Word. This word describes a person who does not deviate from the standards of God. This word describes a person who knows the language of God. Where do we get the language of God? The book. And willingly submits to him. So this person does not deviate from the standards of God in writing about this particular issue, not deviating from the standards of God. David Jeremiah gives an illustration of this particular object that most of us have probably had. Remember he says when you first drew pictures with an etch-a-sketch? You remember that? How many of you have one? Still have one? <laughs> These adults still have an beautiful. If you wanted to change your mind, he writes, you could simply shake it. Everything would disappear. How wouldn't that be cool, right? And you could start all over again. He says it's one of the most popular toys in history. And then he goes on to write, unfortunately, too often, our society writes its moral standards on its own etch-a-sketch. He says our cultural sense of right and wrong is based on societal consensus. For example, it's okay for a woman to have an abortion because society says it's okay. Is it okay? Now you go to colleges and universities, back to those again. It's okay? And do you know what you find even in Christian circles among young people today? And I love you young people, and I'm telling you what's happening. That's a battle with young people today. Maybe like it's never been before. It's unbelievable. And here's what the problem is. You, listen, you can't separate your life into categories or compartments. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are no longer yours, but you're His. And that means you belong to him. And that means we have to understand, hey, if I belong to the Lord, then I stand for what he stands for, and I stand against what he stands against. Yeah, but that's harsh. It's just true. It's just true. Now you see where we are with it, that particular issue. We're even aborting babies when they're after they're born. My goodness. And we're far left along in technology today and in the world of the doctors and nurses today to know that that fetus, what? It's alive. Well, 
Where's the application for the believer in this? Can I give you an illustration? Good. Listen to this one. Don't turn there. I just want you to listen. Actually, I think I even have this one on the... Yes. Thank you, Lord, on PowerPoint. Standards of the Lord. Now, this is within the walls of the church, but it has impact outside the church. Look what the verse says. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know what those words mean? Grumbling and disputing? I just so happen to do word studies on them. So that you might understand what they mean. See, the rough part is I have to do the word study first, then I go, then the Lord deals with me and says, so that you've done a lot of that. Grumbling, the, the word there means murmuring or complaining. Has that ever happened within the walls of a church? Nah. Then the word disputing is a stronger term. This word is stronger in nature. It refers to arguments and quarrels that can and do arise in the church. We know they do. That's why there's churches all over the place. Look at what Paul writes, though. So that you will, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Why you just run up against those terms all over the place in the Bible? Children of God above reproach in the midst of what? A crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as what? Lights. No wonder the Lord told his disciples, they will know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. They will know. Who will know? The world will know. People will know. How do you think it looks to the outside world when a church splits? You ever thought about that? They're just going, people, I always thought they were lunatics. I know they are now. Isn't it going to be nice? Oh, it is going to be nice. I'll even answer it for you. It's going to be wonderful when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to get his church. You know why? One of the big reasons? There's going to be unity. There's not going to be a corner for this denomination and that denomination and this color and that color. We're just all going to be with the Lord. Every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. I don't know how the talking's going to work. I ain't figured that one out. But it's going to work. God's got all that. Well, now you look at these words and you think, man, this is quite a description of this guy, isn't it? <laughs> Blameless, upright. Did y'all bring a sack lunch today? Y'all are thinking, man, you got two more words. It's already 1127. All right, fearing God is the third one. By the way, remember, he had already described him in this manner, and then he's saying he's continuing to be this. Fearing God. Well, we could spend a lot of time on this one. The term means to be aware of. Now, I have a real practical thing to think through on this one. I need to be, and you need to be, 
as believers in Christ, aware of the presence of the Lord all the time. Do you know that the Spirit of God indwells you and me as believers if we know Christ today? Being aware of His presence, that the Lord lives in me. It also means holding in highest regard to the point that it results in fear and submission. Oswald Chambers wrote about fearing God. He said, I love this quote. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear him, you fear nothing else. <laughs> Man, this quote's one of those, like if you're rating it 1 to 10, it's 10 plus. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear him, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear him, you fear everything else. And when I'm laying on that bed and they're saying, we're going to will you in there, we're going to slice you open, I didn't have any fear. You know why? I knew if I didn't wake up here, I was going to be with the Lord. That makes all the difference in the world. So, as I thought about this, I wrote this statement down. It's worth thinking about, at least. I would like to suggest that fearing God comes as a result of having a high view of God. He's not your little buddy. He's not the man upstairs. Don't you get tired of hearing that. He is a holy, holy, holy God. That's who he is. So what's my view of him? Does it matter? It matters. Because it directly impacts the things I do and don't do. So I got thinking about that. I was like, okay. Let's look at some scriptures. And this is just touching the subject. Go home this afternoon and prepare me a lesson on fearing God and bring it back to me. I'm not kidding. I mean, look, it's a great study. Look at what the psalmist says. Let all the earth fear the Lord. All the earth fear the Lord. Do you believe in our culture there's a fear of God today? Absolutely not. How much fear is there in the church today of God? It's a good question. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. One day they will. Do you know one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, but what if they don't want to? They're gonna. Look at this. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You just have to love creation. He spoke it. There's the sun, there's the moon, there's the star. Wow. And what we don't see, with the naked eye, and we can't see with telescopes, it's amazing, his creation. 
He is so separate from man. And yet, guys, listen to this. He's so separate from man, and yet he wants relationship with us. <laughs> make sense of that. You know how you make sense of it? It's called grace. It's grace. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? <laughs> Where is it? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. This is interesting. To him who is humble. And humble is the idea of being dependent. We live in a culture of independence. I don't need anyone. I especially don't need this person called God. I'm doing just fine. One of these days, and I don't know when it's coming, it's proceeding that way. Things in the United States are not going to be fine. He says, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. We need to recover our awareness of how awesome our God is. Job feared the Lord. Solomon writes about fearing the Lord. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, he says, despise wisdom and instruction. Look what he writes in chapter 8. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth, he says, I hate. Job feared the Lord. You feared the Lord today? asked my dad about this subject one time. Actually, he had said he did a word study on the word fear. That's the kind of father I grew up with. And I guess a, about a year or two ago, he called me and said, Hey, Thad, I did a word study on fear. Those are the greatest conversations. He said, I come up with the word dread for one of the meanings as I studied it. Dreading, disappointing God. Hey, look, guys, I'm in the same boat as you. All this stuff's like huge. I look at this and I go, man, this guy Job, he wasn't a perfect man. But he sure lived a righteous life. He was serious. Can I? Hey, <laughs> my phone's wanting to talk to me. Well, that's weird. I didn't even say Siri. Um, but it's true. We need to recover a sense of fear for the Lord. And one of the ways we do that, guys, is recognize we're all in the same boat. 
You know, there's no one better than the other. And recovering a sense of fear begins with having a right view of the world. That's how we can help each other. Then Job says, or then God says about Job that he turned away from evil. Look at this last word here. That Job turned away from evil. This is the last one. The word means to turn aside or to depart from. The word picture is of one rejecting the opposite of God's character. Rejecting the opposite of God's character. In other words, if we're going to reject the opposite of God's character, we have to hate what he hates. We have to understand what God says that he hates. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us about that. This is just one passage. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. He says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Listen to this. Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And look at this last one. And one who spreads strife among brothers. You know what we could do? Just start with that list. Pretty much covers a lot of it, doesn't it? A lot of life. But it says of Job here, the Lord says that he turned from evil. All of us in this room have the responsibility as believers to turn away from evil. That does not mean, guys, that we hate the sinner. Okay? It does not mean that. We love those people. We feel sorry for those people. We want those people to come to Christ. But we hate the evil. I hate abortion. I hate it. I have a disdain for abortion. It bothers me so greatly to hear states passing laws that say even after a child is born, then they can decide if they want to keep the child or not. It's awful. It's evil. You know, there are some people that are so blinded that they don't even believe evil exists. Everything's good. Everybody's good. Because whatever is true to you is true. Everybody's good. There is no evil. I read a story about a couple back in 2018 who quit their jobs to take a year-long bike ride around the world. I'm glad to know, Teresa, and I would never do that. Not riding a bike around the world. I don't even want to fly around the world, much less bike. The trip ended when they were stabbed to death in another country. The husband, a few weeks before their death, said to someone who was interviewing them, he said this, you watch the news and read the papers, and you're led to believe that people are evil. 
I don't buy it. He says evil, he said, evil is a make-believe concept. Yeah. And a few weeks later, he and his wife were stabbed to death. Evil exists. It's in our world. And everybody wants an explanation for it. Well, the Bible gives one. There was Adam and there was Eve. And Adam did what? He sinned. And what entered the world? Sin. I can't explain everything. For sure, no one can. But I can say this. Whenever Adam sinned and death entered the world, look at the mess that's been since then. So when I get encouragement from reading about a man like Job, I just have to say, Lord, you know what? I'm never going to be a perfect here on earth. But I can live holy because your word tells me I can. I thought it ended in a really good spot because this morning we're having the Lord's Supper. And we're encouraged in the book of 1 Corinthians to examine our own lives. Examine the sin that is in us. You know um, what's so awesome for a believer to know? Once you're saved that, you know, to know these verses, that your sin has been cast into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. How many of you like that verse? I like that verse. That he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. How many of you like that? You like that? I like that. You know what that's called? Grace. It's called grace. I deserve to be away from the Lord forever. I get to be with the Lord forever because of grace. So when I come to the table this morning, there's two things I need to do. I need to examine my life. How's that fellowship piece going in my life? That daily fellowship stuff. And then I can celebrate. We celebrate the victory that was won through Jesus Christ at the cross. So I'm going to ask you that you'd bow your head and close your eyes and just have a minute or two time of reflection before we take the elements together. And while everybody's doing that, if the deacons and elders who've been asked to serve this morning would come up, that would be helpful.
us to these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. In doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If you're a visitor with us here at Grace or um, you're not a member, I don't want there to be any confusion for you. Uh, you don't have to be a member of this local assembly to partake with us this morning. But you need to be a member of the body of Christ. You need to know him. We don't have a membership requirement to take the Lord's Supper together so I want you to make sure you understand that and then for the children opportunity parents for you to kind of explain to them what's going on during this time take that opportunity to do that and um, if there's any questions with any of your children and um, I'd love to talk with them sometime if they choose not to talk to you about it they want to talk to me I'd love to, to meet with them and talk to them about what we do here uh, this morning so I'm going to ask Steve Bartlett, if you would, to pray for the bread this morning as we remember the body of the Lord. Steve. Lord, as we think about your body and we try to comprehend what you endured for us, I pray that we would see this bread as a symbol of a symbol of the community that we belong to. We are the body of Christ. And when one of us suffers, all of us suffer. I pray that we might meditate on your words to remember you as we partake. In Christ's name, amen.
You guys recognize that song, don't you? Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. As we take this bread this morning, remember the Lamb of God. Bruce, would you pray for the cup this morning? Father, we are grateful for your great grace and for your son, for the blood that he shed, for our sins, and that when he shed his blood, it was the final sacrifice that needed to be made. No other sacrifices were needed. So we are so grateful for that. Help us to remember that sacrifice now as we share the cup together. In Jesus' name, amen.
what can wash away my sin? Let's do that again. What can wash away my sin? All God's people said amen to that, right? So as we take the cup this morning, we remember the precious blood of the Lamb. Guys, y'all can remain seated uh, as we close out with a new song uh, that you're going to be hearing a lot of next few weeks. And it talks about what we, we just went through with communion. It talks about the gospel. It talks about Jesus and the fact that he's the king of kings. So you guys listen to the words, king of kings.
you guys are dismissed.